The UN says that humanity stands on the brink of catastrophic man-made climate change. But is it true? Not a chance. But we do stand on the brink of catastrophic government policies that threaten to ruin the nation our forefathers built and defended against tyranny. So what drives the climate scare, Jay? Besides simple ignorance, the scare is driven by corporate greed and the desire of governments to control all aspects of our lives, Tom. Is this part of something more sinister? Indeed it is. Whether it's climate change or a pandemic or socialism, it really means sacrificing your rights and accepting the tyranny of the fourth branch of government, the bureaucracy. It must be stopped. This is The Other Side of the Story with Dr. Jay Lair and Tom Harris of the International Climate Science Coalition. Our guest today is Gregory Wrightstone, Executive Director of the CO2 Coalition that you can see on the web at co2coalition.org. Greg is the author of the best-selling book, Inconvenient Facts, the science that Al Gore doesn't want you to know about. Here's what Christopher Monckton, Viscount Brenchley in Scotland, said about the book. Well-researched, clearly written, beautifully presented, and above all, fact-packed books, such as Inconvenient Facts, are absolutely essential to the very survival of democracy, to the restoration of true science, and to the ultimate triumph of objective truth. Greg is a geologist with more than 40 years of experience researching and studying various aspects of the Earth's processes. He earned a bachelor's degree from Waynesburg University and a master's from West Virginia University, both in the field of geology. He's been accepted as an expert reviewer for the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, AR6. So welcome to the show, Greg. Boy, it's great to be on with you. Uh, I've been a big fan of both your writing for a long time. Well, that's great. We're very lucky to have you on. I was watching last night. You had a great interview on Glenn Beck not so long ago. So you certainly yeah, there, there's getting... a story behind that one. Oh, yeah. What's that? Go <laughs> Tell the story. Well, Jackie Pick has a Jackie Daly show. She got me introduced to them. I went out to Dallas. Uh, it was right after we launched my Inconvenient Facts smartphone app, which is now approaching 100,000 downloads. So it has all 60 of the inconvenient facts listed along with charts. A lot of the facts have uh, original videos with them and text. Uh, it's been very popular. You can have that information in the palm of your hand. But Glenn interviewed me and I rolled it out on his show. He loves the app, by the way. Excuse me, but how do people get the app? Go to the uh, Google Play or the App Store and just search for inconvenient facts. Uh, it should come right up. It's free. Uh, I had it as a paid app, but that's part of my mission. And our mission at the CO2 Coalition is to provide, uh, I want to empower people, uh, not just here in America, but around the world with this. Well, well, Greg, Greg, stop right there and, and tell our audience exactly what the CO2 Coalition is. And we're a group of about 70 of some of the top scientists in the world. It was founded in 2015 includes some truly notable, some of the top scientists that, ha that have a skeptical bent, including Will Happer from Princeton, atmospheric physicist, Dr. Richard Lindzen from MIT, another physicist, uh, Pat Michaels 
climatologist uh, noted uh, an author, Patrick Moore, co-founder of Greenpeace. These all sit on our board. Great working with these people. And we can we can bring to bear some real firepower when needed. We're doing we'll talk a little bit about a rebuttal I'm writing right now. And I'm looping all of those people into into having that as well, part of the rebuttal. Greg, we'll get back to the article you wrote in Washington Times that has been uh, so attacked. But I want to ask a question with all these prominent people. I am wondering why your organization in business now for six years has not made a stronger effort to cleanse the world of the term carbon pollution and constantly referring to carbon dioxide as carbon and wanting a carbon-free world. As you well know, these are all lies. They're purposeful lies by the opposition who want the public who know nothing of chemistry to uh, think we're trying to get rid of soot, uh, coal dust, a, a bad thing, not the exhalation that they breathe that keeps everything alive in the world. Why have you not tackled that pervasive lie? Well, that is our main mission, is, is to get the facts about climate change or carbon dioxide out there. We are, after all, the CO2 coalition. So that's that's our focus, and, and that's, I think, really why I'm here. I joined the CO2 Coalition as the executive director in January, and we've done a lot of really good science, published great papers. But the fact of the matter is that we just weren't that good on communication and outreach, and you're right. And we're hoping to change that now. And we have uh, Patrick Moore and I have been the lead persons for the CO2 Coalition. We're approaching 200 different interviews just in the last three months. We've been so busy. I, I, both he and I have had four and five. My record is six interviews in one day, day both television and radio. So we're getting the word out there. It's you know, there's no question about it. I, I have been doing something now for, well, well over uh, 10 years. I was on uh, uh, a number of television shows, John Stossel for one, where I brought some coal dust on and explained to the audience the difference between soot and coal dust and carbon dioxide. And in all my writings, uh, every time I refer to one of the lies about carbon, I explain in every article, uh, we're talking about carbon dioxide. I have to admit, I haven't really done any good. I mean, it, it still goes on and on. But I think everybody involved has to correct everybody who uses the term carbon when they mean carbon dioxide. That's true. The problem we face is just a complete shutdown of of the media, uh, universities, uh, every just about everything. We get we get shut down. If you have a a differing opinion, if you don't agree in what what I call a consensus opinion, that is that uh, the majority of the warming since 1900 or 1950 is man made, and that it's going to lead to catastrophic consequences, you're not going to get on the mainstream media, and that's why we have to generate. Some of the the big things, and one of the things we did again, it just let's just I'll use Jen Saki's term. We'll circle back to the app and Glenn back back, and I'll just use that as an example of how we use I I, I call it media jujitsu on them and take their momentum and use it to to throw them on their back. Is that after Apple removed my app from the App Store two days after being on Glenn Beck? It was the lead story. I got I got a hold of my friends at the Heritage Foundation, and they ran a story in their 
Daily Mail the next day, which reach, reaches millions of people. And it was the lead story on Drudge about this geologist with a new book whose app uh, was removed. And, and they, they were calling it the first time they've seen the App Store weaponized. And yeah, it, that's that's Tom and I congratulate you both. You're, you're doing an amazing job. I, I think, uh, you know, the publicity is uh, I think we'll see a dent somewhere down the road. And of course, everything that Biden administration is doing is uh, counter to the productivity of American people. So uh, you're really uh, adding to eventually, I think we'll win the war. Let me just finish up with that, though, with with, with this app. It was pretty funny because uh, the, the sales exploded. We got up actually in the top 10 overall of Amazon bestsellers. And wow. and it was driven because the app had been removed and weaponized. And and my app developer said, he said, Greg, you know, I, I think I've got to, I figured out a way we can get it back on because they said they removed it because it, it lacked compelling content. And it really, <laughs> and it was, it, it was hilarious because the other apps they have look like failed middle school science fair projects. Uh, yeah. So I, I said, whatever, I said, oh my God, whatever you do, we don't, you know, we don't want to get that. We want to ride this, this train as far as we can. We ended up getting it back on after a couple of months. So that's the end of my app story. <laughs> so it actually benefited you in the long run, having Usually. it censored. <laughs> it's so typical, eh? Now, our current CO2 levels are a bit less than 420 parts per million. Uh, as a geologist, Greg, can you put that in perspective? I mean, is 420 very much? No, it's not. And, and I'll just tell you, I've got, I'm, I'm holding in my hand a CO2 meter. Uh, I had it outside earlier today, and it was uh, 423 or something in the ambient air temp temperatures or the ambient uh, CO2 levels. And my, the CO2 level here in my office is 548, and that's because we're exhaling CO2. So the CO2 levels in your home, uh, I've been headed to conventions where it's up over 800, close to 1,000. Oh, uh, but, people are dying, eh? <laughs> no, nobody's dying. And uh, but yeah, over time, we're a little, little bit less than 420 parts per million currently. Uh, but if we again, I'm a geologist, so I, I like to look at the long term perspective. And, and if we look at the at the big long term perspective, we've this is a really some of the lowest CO2 levels in the history of the Earth. We see that back in the Cambrian and early Paleozoic periods, uh, CO2 levels got to around 8,000 parts per million. And the average throughout Earth's history has been 2,600 parts per million. That's six and a half times the concentration that we have today. Six and a half times was the average of the Earth. Greg, uh, Greg like let, me chime in. let me chime in here for a moment. Uh, Will Happer talked me into getting a CO2 meter seven or eight years ago. Uh, I've never gone anywhere uh, without it. And you're right, most of the lecture halls that I've spoken in before uh, COVID uh, would run uh, 900 to 1,200. The average open-air airport uh, would be 900, and on an airplane, it would run around 1,500. But the number I like to uh, to talk about to disarm people of any fear of carbon dioxide, I've been fortunate enough during my career in the Navy to have uh, ridden on a couple of submarines for short uh, terms. And in the average submarine, they try to keep the CO2 content down below 5,000, 5, but they rarely succeed and it frequently goes up to 8,000. And to my knowledge, nobody has ever been sickened on a submarine 
uh, at 8,000 parts per million. In fact, I don't, uh, I don't know that anybody can show an example of uh, damage done by high carbon dioxide until maybe you get to 20,000. Do you, do you know an answer to that, Greg? Yeah, I've seen some, some levels that it, it looks like it's, whatever it is, it's any harm, according to OSHA, take, would take place over 10,000 for sure. And probably you're right closer to 20,000. And, and those aren't really big effects, but we see this. So, so no, there's no harmful, harm to having increased CO2 like this. And, uh, and again, we should, we'll, we'll talk a little bit here in a little bit about why we should welcome this increase. You know, yeah. according to us here at the CO2 Coalition, uh, our membership are, are huge proponents of the many benefits of the combination of modest warming and increasing CO2. Just leading marvelously to benefits to the earth and humanity. Right. Now, I was a lifeguard for the YMCA when I was a lot younger, and we had to do mouth-to-mouth respiration in practice for you know resuscitating somebody who drowned. What kind of CO2 levels would I have been blowing into somebody, which you know actually was supposed to help them? I believe it's around 40,000 oh, or wow. more. So you're... Yeah. And if I breathe on this, I'm not going to do it now because it'll set off the alarm and it, it would not make for good radio. So <laughs> it, it'll be, but if I breathe on it, it'll quickly go to five, six thousand, eight thousand parts per million. Uh, wow. But that's not okay. I'm going to, I've got, I'm going to order. I haven't done it yet. I want to get a little, uh, they have a little tube that you can measure. I'm going to get one so I can measure it under, under my face mask that I hate to wear. Oh, and, yeah. It, it's got to be. 30, 40,000 parts per million. And that yeah. can't, be, can't be good for you. No. Well, we didn't like doing the mouth to mouth, but if you're saving someone's life, you're saying that 40,000 is not actually hurting them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So wow. that's, yeah, that, that's the big story here is this is the many are the many benefits of, of increasing CO2. It's hard to believe that the, the enemy that really want to control the earth and, of course, primarily get rid of fossil fuels and uh, make everybody use wind and solar, which, of course, doesn't work. So the government would have to ration all energy. But to have uh, constructed a lie this big that uh, they've been able to sell essentially to the entire world. There are a few other lies that would be so preposterous that could be successfully sold as the idea that carbon dioxide is a bad thing and is uh, damaging the earth. Oh, absolutely. And there's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm writing, again, we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit, but I'm writing a, a rebuttal to something. And, and part of what they, they pushed back, these alarmists against me was, well, okay, so what, so what if CO2 was higher? There weren't any in the past, there weren't any humans. So how do you know it's going to, you know, well, that, that's just a, it's a straw man that they're throwing up. Yes, it's true. The back one was 2,600 parts per million. There weren't any. But if we look over the last 140 million years of Earth's history, we see that CO2 levels have declined almost in a linear fashion from 2,500 parts per million down to the end of the last ice age. We got to the lowest level that we can find in Earth's history. And that was 182 parts per million. And that, that would be, that's near what I call the line of death, which is 150 parts per million. And below 150 parts per million, plant life can't survive. 
we nearly got there in the not too recent geologic past. And of course, if we had ever crossed that line of death, now that would be a true climate apocalypse. They talk about these climate apocalypses, of course, with no plant life, everything goes away. Well, the algae would survive and, and the ocean critters would, would live, but uh, the land-based life well, forms, not so much. Greg, saying that, how do you respond to a John Kerry who is telling the world that we not only have to stop creating carbon dioxide by burning fossil fuels, we have to cleanse carbon dioxide out of the air. I mean, that to me is the ranting of a crazy person. What do you tell some sane person who quotes John Kerry? Well, we can, we can use lots of uh, lines of evidence, but again, we get pushed back and we don't get to tell the public this very often, but I, I, I'll show them Again, I'll pull out my smartphone. I'll show them charts of food production increasing, uh, the greening of the earth. That, that, actually, I, I call that the greatest untold story of the late 20th and early 21st century is this, oh, this yeah? greening of the earth and, and the prospering of the earth across every niche, every type of, of area, and particularly in the poles and the high latitude areas, we see uh, a tremendous greening. And it, and to, to steal a phrase from Jimmy Buffett, I, I call it changes in in latitudes, changes in altitudes, uh, huh. and we're seeing we're seeing that in, in again these high latitude, high altitude areas, just tremendous green. In the deserts, we see CO two fertilization uh, even in the dry areas, these formerly arid areas around the Earth in India, Australia, China, uh, the Sahara, the southern. I like to point to the Southern Sahara as an area known as the Sahel, as I hold that up as just a great example. And if, if your listeners are going, what? Right down the Sahara is shrinking? Yeah, I've, they've never heard this. Well, they, they might if they've been listening to you. But if you don't believe me, just Google two words, NASA and greening, and see what comes up. And you'll find out that the Earth is, is greening in large part due to CO2 fertilization effect and more CO2. That's a good thing. That's a really, really good thing. People are moving back into the Sahel. 700,000 square kilometers of former desert are turning into a lush grassland. Oh, wow. Yeah. People, people are, are living there that haven't lived there in a thousand years and they're planting crops. That, that's, that's a story that should be the front page of the New York Times, but you know it yeah. will never be because they can't, they, they won't publish anything that doesn't. Uh, show gloom and doom and a despoiling of the earth and humanity by increasing CO2 and temperature. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, in the fact sheet released by the Biden White House to coincide with uh, President Biden's Earth Day Climate Summit, you know, the emissions they kept talking about, they kept referring to it as carbon pollution. In fact, six times in his um, fact sheet, he called it carbon pollution. Don't you think the Republicans should be jumping all over this? Uh, that's that's a sad state of affairs where we have lots of these Republicans that are pretty much on board with this and, and they don't know how to address it. Because if they if they push back on that, they're called deniers. And some of these some of these groups, they're just so well funded. Uh, Republican congressmen and senators are they don't want to be labeled a denier. They don't want to be a target for the Environmental Defense Fund, who has just the Environmental Defense Fund has more money than. Heritage Foundation. Get that. And that's just one of these many groups. There, there's a whole dozens of them that are well-funded, 
and they're they're ready to go after people. I I, I advise when I talk to politicians, my and I understand they don't want to be called a denier. It's the, the the subject and the matter is so nuanced, and and they don't want to be seen as wearing a tinfoil hat. So I, I I advise them to use my take on climate and energy, and that and this is important for your listeners. And I want them to embrace it too. I believe that we should use all of Earth's resources for the betterment of mankind and do it as good stewards. Let me repeat that. Use all of Earth's resources for the betterment of mankind and do it as good stewards. That's one sentence that encapsulates what I believe you and I and your audience should embrace. Mm-hmm. Well, well, it's a great sentence, but actually uh, most of our opposition wants to keep everything in the ground. Initially, it was uh, keep it for future generations. We don't care about the people alive now that might be suffering with little energy. They want to keep everything for future generations, which makes no sense. But keep it in the ground has really become a motto for uh, a lot of the opposition. Obviously, it refers to oil and gas and coal, but it uh, refers to many other minerals. Uh, EPA has shut down many uh, mining uh, potential operations. Uh, they, the, the environmentalist zealots, they, they don't want any mining at, at all. They don't want to use any resource. Yeah, they do. And I'm, I'll be, I, I, I'm, I, I get exasperated, not just with the GOP, with their stance, but I really get up, upset when, when we see some of these energy companies, uh, nuclear is, is piling on against oil and natural gas. Natural gas is saying they're, they're throwing coal and oil under the bus. And I'll be speaking up at a, in Pennsylvania next week to an energy group. And, and some of those people have embraced this notion that uh, they're, they're a natural gas company and we need to get out of oil. We need to get out of coal. Well, you think back to World War II and the I forget the gentleman's name. It wasn't Bonhoeffer, although many things. But you know, first they came for the the coal companies, and I didn't speak up because I didn't I didn't own a coal company. And then they came for the oil companies, and I didn't speak up because I'm in natural gas. Now they come after me, and no one's left to speak up for me. They're gonna well, these natural that, that gas. Originally, com- that originally came from uh, uh, Hitler's Germany. You know, they came for the yeah. Jews, and they for came sure. for the next, and they came for the next, and that's where it came from. The energy. But I don't know of hardly a single corporation that thinks uh, about the future of our society. They just think about the future of their bottom line uh, a few months out. It's really horrible. And nuclear is the worst. All the nuclear societies are just lobbies to sell nuclear power plants. And the fact, I mean, you've got to be a pretty smart physicist to understand and ultimately build uh, nuclear power, and and yet you're saying build nuclear power so you won't have global warming from carbon dioxide. These people are the worst kind of liars. It's interesting, the World Nuclear Association of London are even more exaggerated on the climate issue than Al Gore. I mean, John Rich, who used to be the head of the World Nuclear Association, you know, he said that not millions, but billions of peoples on all continents will die unless we do, you know, X, Y, Z. So buy our nuclear reactors. And, you know, people I know in the nuclear sector are very angry because they say when the climate scare collapses 
anything associated with it will be disgraced. And of course, that would be nuclear power, sadly. I had 15 minutes of fame back in 2011 uh, when the Fukushima tsunami hit because I had just come out with a, uh, a new book, Encyclopedia of Nuclear Energy. And it took me three years to compile articles on nuclear power from you know many dozens of smarter people than me. But the first people I went to was the Nuclear Energy uh, Institute. And I, they had 150 people on staff. They didn't have a single nuclear physicist that could help me with the book. They're just a big lobbying organization. It really is disgusting. I mean, there isn't any question nuclear power uh, is a fabulous future for the whole world. But I have uh, I, I take no friendship from the the people that are telling the wrong story to sell nuclear to our country. Yeah. And, and the, the problem with nuclear here in the United States is just it's been so heavily regulated that they've driven the costs through the roof. And it can't because of that, nuclear can't compete economically with with coal or natural gas fired electricity. They're building nuclear reactors in France, and France, as you're well aware, has embraced nuclear. They did that some 40 years ago, and they're generating about 80 percent of their electricity today from nuclear, just completely opposite from their neighbors in Germany, who's they're decommissioning nuclear power right and left along with coal-fired electricity and and they almost experienced a texas style meltdown uh, in february about the same time texas did uh, but and huh. it's just going to get worse as we as we rely more and more and more on these unreliables and can i I'll, I'll tell you when i think about electricity and energy i i use three descriptors of what good energy should look like it should be reliable it should be abundant and it should be affordable. And the only electricity source that meets those descriptors is, is coal and natural gas. Yeah. And they're just about to decommission a couple of major nuclear plants in California. I mean, what's going to happen to their electric supply when they turn those off? Oh, well, and just this week, Indian River in New York powers New York City got shut down. They, they turned the lights out on this huge facility. And for the life of me, I don't see how how they expect to fire and, and power New York City and the New York State if they keep shutting things like this down. It was a perfectly re reliable, perfectly good nuclear facility uh, that was shut down due to uh, misguided and fallacious uh, environmental concerns over global warming, that which there is no climate crisis. There is no climate emergency. And, and they're... And we need to say that over and over and over again. Yeah, Greg, when I when I did a uh, I did 23 network television shows after Fukushima because of my book uh, uh, coming out the very same month of the uh, tsunami and the destruction of four of their nuclear power plants. And after the first one, they brought an anti nuke person to uh, come on with me. And I would explain that there couldn't be enough radiation escape from the plants and last long enough to create any uh, radiation sickness or, or, or death from radiation. And I got death threats for the next three years. Uh, oh. uh, of course, I was right. There was virtually no radiation illness, no radiation death. There were many, many deaths by taking old people away from their homes and their medicines and, and having other uh, mental uh, health problems, but it wasn't radiation. 
Uh, these people will stop at nothing to stop nuclear. Yeah. And yet, you know, in Canada, for example, with our candy reactors, you can hold a used candy reactor in your hand safely after only 400 years. And they're talking about storing it in the Canadian Shield that has been stable for, you know, tens of millions of years. So, yeah, sure, the low-level waste is radioactive for a long time, but it's not that dangerous anyways. It's the high-level waste, but it's decayed within four centuries, at least for our reactors. Oh, interesting. I, I don't know much. I'm not, uh, I'm certainly no nuclear expert like, like Jay is. That was great, that first half of our show. So stay tuned for the second half right after the break. Now, never before in our history have we witnessed the level of hatred that is now being waged against our law enforcement. While anarchist groups create havoc and overwhelm our first responders, these same groups and their corporate supporters are calling for the police forces to be shrunk and defunded. What can you and I do to make a difference? How can we stand up for what is right and to show our support? That's what I'm going to tell you about this incredible new platform. It's called ShopToTheRight.com. And it's a new shopping platform that will help you find businesses that align with your values. They feature products made in America. They support veteran-owned businesses as well as our law enforcement community. This is a time when we need to stick together. We need to shop together and we need to support each other. It's time for you and I to make some noise and stand up to protect our country. And one easy way to do that is to shop and give our money to companies that don't seek to destroy our way of life. So join the fight for liberty. ShopToTheRight.com. Support those American businesses that support law enforcement, and veterans. Is a record player the best way to listen to music? Of course not. So why are you still taking vitamins that haven't been upgraded since the 1930s? Even if your vitamins aren't hard to swallow, it's time to upgrade to Healthy Cells pill-free, patent-pending microgel supplements that work at the cellular level to boost immune health, sleep better, focus deeper, and stay younger longer. They taste great, convenient on the go, and they're more natural too, without chemical binders, fillers, and coatings. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of any product. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. AmericaOutloud.com is the alternative from the agenda-driven globalist. Here, we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. On-demand podcast or real-time talk radio with our streaming apps on Apple, Android, or Alexa. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. Back on air with Gregory Wrightstone, the executive director of the CO2 Coalition, a geologist 
You can see the CO2 Coalition at co2coalition.org. So over to you, Jay. I think you had a question for Greg. I do. I write weekly for uh, CFAC.org. It stands for Committee for a Constructive Tomorrow. And uh, Craig Rucker, the president of CFAC, uh, came to me uh, before Biden's uh, speech on Earth Day and asked me if I would uh, write a rebuttal to his speech, which I was more than happy uh, to do. Uh, In searching for some really good material to write in opposition to Mr. Biden's horrible speech that he gave over Zoom to supposedly 40 different uh, countries, and he wore a mask while on Zoom, which I found rather humorous. In searching for good material, I found a phenomenal article in Washington Times by Gregory Wrightstone, and I excerpted a portion of it and really made it the crowning jewel of uh, the article I wrote in opposition to uh, Biden. And now it's my understanding, Gregory, that uh, your article was so good that it's being uh, attacked by some major people uh, in the opposition that think we've got to stop using any more uh, fossil fuels to save the world. Yeah, they were, uh, Washington Times came to us, or came to me actually, two top people at the Washington Times said that, hey, uh, we posted this on Facebook, and Facebook is attacking, is calling it misleading and false, and uh, we're getting hammered uh, on Facebook because of this, and they actually sent it out to a group called Climate Feedback, and they pointed eight so-called experts to to tear it down, to show how my Everything I had in there was false and misleading. Well, these were no experts at all. Uh, One was a research assistant at Harvard. Now, what is that? I guess it's somebody that that can't do it himself and just compile stuff. And I'm in the middle of of writing that. We're putting that together, and I've enlisted. It was a pretty detailed takedown, but it was full of lies. They were fact-checking me, and I'm turning around. I'm I'm saying I'm going to fact-check the fact-checkers. And just <laughs> going through it in detail. And it, I've enlisted Will Happer and Dick Linson and Pat Michaels and Patrick Moore. We're going to, you know, I'm going to have some top scientists with firepower behind us to, to push back. Um, the one professor uh, was a fellow geologist, and she had just some outrageous claims about paleoclimate, paleo temperature. Now, for your listeners, that's, that's the long term temperature history of the earth. She, one of her claims was that uh, in the past, uh, when when CO2 levels were very high, the Earth's uh, equator was so hot that no life could survive. Yeah, uh, I saw that. Yeah. yeah. It, that doesn't make sense. I, I've never heard that. I talked to Pat Michaels and Will Happer, and they said, well, that's ridiculous. And I, I, I could find, there's, she has no, no basis for saying that. The other was that, it, another one that's easy to disprove, she said our current temperatures were warmer than it's been in 12,000 years. Well, right right off the bat, you know, she's not very well versed in subject because 12,000 years and before, we had 80 or 90,000 years of really cold temperature. So if you're going to go to 12,000 years, claim that, you might as well go back 100 and say it's been, hasn't been this warm in 100,000. But, but we know the data just doesn't support that. And for my new book that I'm, I'm putting together, if I ever finish it, I actually looked at and debunked the study that, that she claims as supporting this, this notion. 
Uh, even Michael Mann doesn't agree with that. Michael Mann and the entire paleo climate community believes that, yes, there was a period six or 8,000 years ago, it was called the, the Holocene Optima, was, was much warmer than today. That, that's basic belief in, our, in, the, in the paleo climate community. And she's... Uh, Greg, Greg, I want to correct you on something. Uh, and that's when you say even Michael Mann doesn't agree with it. Uh, if I were you and, and, and I'm me, I would never say anything about Michael Mann, good, bad or indifferent. I wouldn't want him to agree with me any more than disagree with me because he has no credibility. So I'm not sure I would uh, use that well, as evidence of anything. Well, but he, I, I use that as an example of even the most alarmist okay. and extreme of, of people in the community disagree with what she had to say. But I, I looked, she referenced a study was called Kaufman, and it was just full of just incorrect data. This guy, he took data from Iceland and he, he turned it upside down. He used it upside down. He took uh, incorrect, just it, just it was full, chock full of errors. And in fact, it was so bad, he had to issue a, a correction. And in that, it was funny because whenever it was first public, it published, the papers trumpeted it as warming never this high in X number of thousands of years. And then when he corrected it, it turned out that our current warming was only the, the third highest in the last 2,000 years, and that both the Roman warm period and the medieval warm period, according to this study she was quoting, were both warmer than it is today. And, but no one heard about that. Uh, but when the first study was published, and um, I, I had some correspondence with her, and she used an even worse study. It was called Marcotte, uh, that you'll see if you go to any of the climate change sites uh, that are alarmist in nature. They use this because it shows just tremendous alarming warming. And of course, uh, it, it was completely debunked within two weeks of publication. Just horrible, horrible. And that's what we see time and time again in these scientists are publishing uh, easily debunked science and they grab the headlines. Uh, but again, we never hear, hear from them after they're corrected or even know about it. So when do you expect to publish the response to their attack? Well, my self-imposed deadline is end of business tomorrow. Oh, okay. um, but life and the CO2 coalition sometimes get in my way. So we have a lot of work. We're, we have a small staff here. So it, it's, uh, we're growing. But, uh, you know, there's, there's a, lot, a, lot, a lot of moving pieces here we have to get in order. Yeah. You know, Greg, you should be patting yourselves on the back that you're getting this kind of attack. I should tell you that an old friend of mine, he's passed away at 96, he was a Lancaster bomber pilot. And he said to me one day when I was kind of a little sad because I'd been really crucified in the media, he said, Tom, he said, that's a good thing. He said, when we were flying bombing raids over Germany, if we came back and didn't have bullet holes through parts of our fuselage, we knew we were dropping the bombs in, a, in the wrong place. He said, because the Germans wouldn't waste anti-aircraft fire if we were bombing a cow pasture. They only went after us and used their ammunition when we were hitting a vulnerable and important target. So he said, yeah, when you're attacked, that proves you're exactly on target. You should keep doing the same thing. So it sounds like they're giving you a compliment. <laughs> not only that, uh, you probably saw it was uh, last year we got attacked. Uh, we had at first it was uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren and Sheldon Whitehouse and two other United States senators wrote a letter to Mark Zuckerberg 
and to Facebook just saying, demanding that they take down the CO2 Coalition Facebook page. Another group, uh, Stacey Abrams, Tom Steyer, and a group of 17 left-wing groups two weeks later did the same thing, demanding that Facebook shut Why? down the CO2 Coalition website. So, of course, we blew that up. Our benefit to get a, a publicity. Yeah, and you can use it in your fundraising. That They take you that seriously. <laughs> they want exactly. To Go back and bomb them in the same place exactly again. Now, mm-hmm. you know, climate has obviously changed, warming and cooling forever. I mean, how have humans responded to warming and cooling? I mean, which has been worse? Yeah, that's a marvelous story, and that's what I'm working on. That's actually the, the, the second. I, my book that's upcoming is in three sections. The second section is deals with this, the relationship between the rise and fall of temperature and the rise and fall of civilizations. And we see that it's just opposite of what we're being told. We're being told that, oh, my God, we can't let it get another degree and a half or two degrees warmer, or there's going to be drought and famine and pestilence, and we're all going to die. Well, I went back, and let's, let's go back and look through both Earth's history and human history and see what actually happened when it was that warm. And we find that these other warm periods were times of great prosperity. Uh, ecosystems thrived, humanity prospered, and and it was it, it's just a it's a great great story. It, it, these warming periods uh, were fantastic, and it was the cold periods that were horrific. Um, you know, they have names like the Greek Dark Ages, the European Dark Ages, the Little Ice Age, and each time it cooled down, we had crop failure, famine, pestilence, and mass depopulation. Uh, that was just again. It's just opposite of what we're being told, and um, it's it, there's there's an interesting story I like to tell about the the most recent cooling, which was the Little Ice Age, because we'd gone through uh, the medieval warm period, time of great prosperity. Think of the Magna Carta, great cathedrals being built. We had several hundred years of bountiful harvest, people prospered. And that's when inventions occur because you, you, they didn't have to grub for each of their meals or wonder if they could feed their family. So they had time to dream, to sculpt, to invent, uh, to tinker. Uh, and, and they did for three, four, five hundred years. And then it started getting cold in the 13th century. Crops started failing. Famine set in. People started dying. And they blamed it on weather causing witches. Right. Mm. You got to blame it on something. And that's what we're doing now. And, and mm-hmm. what happened was uh, they started killing witches. And then uh, actually in the 14th century, the Pope issued a papal bull that said, yes, they're weather-causing witches, and you find them, you need to kill them, and they did. Now, here's where it gets interesting. About 1500, it warmed up again, and food came back. Finally, life was good. Uh, why did that happen, Tom? <laughs> they killed the witches. They killed all the witches. Right, yeah. they killed all the witches. Exactly, that's what they said. They so they they were patting themselves on the back. Uh, of course, they had nothing to do with witches. But that warm period only lasted about forty years. That time of great prosperity, and then it really started getting cold. And that's when the real devastating. And in my new book, I've got a, I've actually got a, a chart I've constructed of uh, the top part of the chart is witches killed per decade, and the bottom part of the chart are extreme cold months or extreme cold months uh, of each year. And so there's great correlation. It, it's, it's, it's kind of funny, but it, it, it wouldn't be funny if you were a, 
accused of being a witch in 1500. Yeah, apparently a lot of towns used this as a, as a way to get rid of unpopular people. And, and it's so horrific, you know, burning them all alive. I mean, this is just unbelievably terrible. And it was done with official sanction. You know, the yeah. mayors of towns were supporting it. Yeah. So, but it's, a, again, it's an interesting story, but it, it serves a point to just to confirm what we were just talking about, about how it wasn't the warm that was that were killing people. It was the cold. And that's, we're going to see that again. It's going to, we're in a warming period. That's for sure. We've been warming for more than 300 years and I'm good with that. Uh, it's going to start cooling at some point in the future. I don't know when that is. It may already be occurring. It might not be for 100 years or more, but when it does occur, we're likely going to see some of the same issues. It won't be as bad as in the past because we're not moving food around with ox carts and we're not, we've got refrigeration, uh, but still it's likely we'll see severe and massive crop failures just like it did in the other cool periods. So yeah. we're preparing for heat and, and warning about that when we should really be taking a good look at what, what's going to happen when it gets cold. Especially for Canada. Yeah. Let me go back to killing witches just for a moment. If you think that's something that happened 500 years ago, Senator Sheldon Whitehouse wants to jail all of us who do not think we are uh, existentially destroying the earth with uh, carbon dioxide. And Bill Nye recently said that uh, there have not been enough funerals of deniers. These people are every bit as evil, though they're not uh, themselves killing people, but their words and their, and their thoughts are not that different than those people in the time of the Salem witches. We have very evil people that are trying to, uh, to shut us up in, in order to promote the biggest lie ever told on planet Earth that uh, carbon dioxide is destroying the planet. It's a witch hunt against us. Yeah. Now, Jay, you had a question about the gas prices soaring with the ransomware attack on a pipeline. Well, uh, uh, Greg, uh, you're uh, you're in Virginia. Is that correct? I'm in. Yes, I am. And, and on the East Coast in the last couple of days, somebody uh, hacked into an oil pipeline and uh, made it malfunction, I suppose. And uh, oil prices have uh, skyrocketed on the East Coast. And my understanding is that some companies are, are worried about putting their trucks on the road for fear they'll run out of fuel and be stuck on the side of the road. Uh, tell our audience a little bit more about that if they're not in the East Coast. Yeah, well, right now, Virginia is in a state of emergency. North Carolina, pretty high percentage of their gas stations are out of, out of uh, gasoline right now. Uh, I've got my... I've got to drive to Pittsburgh here in two days and hopefully it'll be back. But it's, it's really just plaguing the East Coast, this pipeline. And once I got up into Pennsylvania, especially Western Pennsylvania, they should have adequate supplies of gasoline there. So I, I can make it there on a thankful. But yeah, it's, it's, and it's funny, J Jennifer Granholm from the uh, Biden administration just yesterday, last night, uh, they were asking her about in a press conference. And she said that they were talking about trucking. They're, they're going to be some 10,000 trucks trucking gasoline up to, to, in, into the northeast and the east. Well, how dangerous is that? And she said, and she was also talking. She's a former uh, governor of Michigan, isn't she? Yeah, so uh, she was talking about 10,000 trucks 
uh, on the road trying to move gasoline up into these areas. And, and how dangerous is that? Uh, she was asked, too, about rail transportation. Again, nothing is as safe as pipelines, and that's what she said. She said pipelines are the best option. Well, think about that. Why didn't she say that whenever they were talking about the XL pipeline? We had the same situation with the XL pipeline uh, that was canceled on the first day of Joe Biden's administration. They're going to have to move all that in some other manner, probably by rail coming out of Canada to the United States. Again, the best option, and she admitted it, was was pipelines. Mm -hmm. And what about when they close line five? Do you think that's going to require a lot more trucks and rail cars? Yeah, you're referring to the uh, pipeline, and I believe it's shipping gasoline, isn't it? From Canada, from Ontario, I think, into Michigan. And yeah, eventually it ends up in Sarnia. And they say there's going to be thousands of jobs lost in Sarnia if it closes down. Well, those are just the sacrifices. Don't, you don't understand, Tom. Those are the sacrifices we all need to make for to save the planet. Those 12,000 jobs in Excel, well, they can just go get themselves a new job in the clean energy sector. And that's, a, <laughs> yeah. that's a bunch of hooey. If we uh-huh. look at it, um, the, the, there are not many good high-paying jobs uh, in the wind turbine and the electric or solar sectors. They just don't pay as well. Uh, they're, they're paying 50% or a third as much as what the people in the oil field can make. There was an article, the gentleman that wrote it said that he was trying to find somebody in the solar and wind business to talk to him about the employment situations they're having because they can't find people. And he, the one guy he talked to said, well, you know, I can, I can look at a guy and try and offer him a job, but he can make the same amount of money working at Starbucks and he doesn't have to uh, have come home with grease under his knuckle or under his fingernails every day. He doesn't have to be working out in the elements. He doesn't have to climb a 300 foot tower. He says, you know, if I had to choose and I, I was given that option, I'd probably work at Starbucks too. Uh, so they're just not able to hire. Uh, it, it's a real, real, another real lie about this whole energy situation that there will be a huge number of high paying jobs. Mm-hmm. We haven't seen it. Yeah. Well, now, uh, it- Go ahead, Greg. Well, uh, Tom and I are, are working on an article. It'll be uh, a few weeks till we uh, finish it. But most of the green jobs can be proven are going to go to China and India, but not to the United States anyway. Yeah. And especially if we look at what's going on, there was just an IEA report that came out, I believe it was yesterday, concerning uh, energy minerals that are being needed chromium, cobalt, lithium rare earth minerals and, and these are dominated by china and and according to this iea report if we go to an electrification campaign like biden wants we're gonna have to increase uh, the production of these uh electric elements and minerals by anywhere from the, the minimum was 700 percent increase for the one up to 7400 percent increase in others just just to treat and it's these are huge environmentally degradation degradation these open pit mines is what they are they're not they're not benign uh right now we're switching over from or what they want to do is switch over from uh oil and natural gas and and coal actually with a very very small footprint and mm-hmm. uh and they want to switch it over to something that's that's environmentally degrading with a huge footprint hmm. so you could have a, a new sort of logo harming america and the environment 
but benefiting China. You know, that's what it sounds like this Biden plan is actually doing. Yeah, it does. Uh, there's, there's no question about that. And, and people really ought to slowly be waking up to it. I, I'm totally optimistic every time the Biden administration does something dumb, stupid, in fact, evil. Uh, I cheer because they're, they're building up a case where there are not going to be many people left in the United States who are not leftist Marxist types uh, who are going to want to keep these people in power. I think the, uh, the, the, the Congress, the Senate and the House of Representatives in the uh, 2022 election cycle uh, will switch sides while they may try to control the election. I don't think they can cheat in 520 odd uh, voting districts. And I think the majority in the House and Senate will switch because every every day they do something stupid and harmful to the average American people. Uh, aside from the people that keep getting uh, checks from the government that keep their printing presses going and give out stimulus uh, uh, checks, that's still a relatively small percentage that are going to vote for these people doing crazy things every day. They are more friendly to China today than they are to the United States, this administration. Yeah, we're, we're weakening ourselves. And we, we've just, the, the week that Joe Biden was inaugurated was the first week since 1985 that the United States did not import one barrel of oil from Saudi Arabia. Just think about mm. that. We wow. tried for decades and decades to become energy independent. We finally got there. And now he wants to move us away from one dependence on the Middle East into a new dependence on China. And yeah. frankly, I think I'd rather be dependent on the Middle East for oil than I am China for these rare earth minerals. Yeah, good point. You know, we got to wrap up in about a minute, but you have a report, the CO2 Coalition, that you just released called Forests the Size of France Regrown Since 2000, study suggests. Can you tell us a little bit more about that, Greg? Yeah, it's, it, again, it goes back to this greening of the planet. Um, and what they're, what they're talking about, part of it, they, they, they throw a sop to this uh, decarbonization, the great forests that are growing up are sucking out 5.9 gigatons of carbon dioxide, uh, more than the annual emission of the U.S. Well, here at the CO2 Coalition, we're not, uh, we, don't, we don't subscribe to the idea that sucking CO2 out of the atmosphere is beneficial because we, we see that the increase is, is, as being beneficial, um, but it's, it's a huge amount. And this is just the Atlantic forest in Brazil. Uh, is expanding. Actually, we're seeing we're seeing this greening and reforestation all over the earth, and it's it's in almost every ecological niche. We see this, um, and it was it's it's an encouraging thing. We just teamed up with a group in Brazil. We just started working with called the Intellectos that are coming out science based group talking about um, the truth about the Amazon rainforest. So it's been interesting working with them. So we're getting yeah. international here. Yeah, exactly. So we have to wrap up now. And really, we appreciate you coming on, Gregory. I should just tell our listening audience to check out CO2Coalition.org. Gregory is the author of the best-selling book, Inconvenient Facts. CO2 Coalition are obviously doing very well because their opponents are putting a high priority on attacking them. <laughs> so thanks again, Gregory, for being our guest today. Thank you. Okay. This is Tom Harris and Jay Lear signing out from the other side of the story.